Welcome to episode 9 of What Kind of Country? I'm Victoria Meakin, and I'm moving with my family to the beautiful country of New Zealand. It's 2021, and the world is still in the grip of the coronavirus pandemic, so myself, my husband, and our two young children are governed by New Zealand's very strict managed isolation rules, meaning we'll be spending two weeks in a government-mandated hotel. And I'm delighted to say that I'll be dedicating part of that time to speaking remotely to some very generous Kiwis who've given up their time to help me answer the question, in 2021, what kind of country are we moving to? Coming up in this episode, I speak to one of New Zealand's tertiary educators about design, innovation, motorsports and his role in preparing students for the start of their careers. According to figures released earlier this year, New Zealanders are enrolling in universities and polytechnics in record numbers. My guest today, Eric Thompson, is someone who works day in, day out at one of the country's highest ranked research institutions, Whitecliffe College in Auckland, where he heads up its School of Design and Innovation. Eric has worked extensively in higher education with numerous roles at universities in New Zealand, Australia and further afield. He also wears another hat. He's written and spoken extensively about motorsport in the New Zealand media. Hi, Eric. How are you, Victoria? I'm well, thank you. Yeah, very well. We've just got a few days left to go in MIQ now, so the end is in sight. So not too much cabin fever? Then. No, no, actually, we've got some big windows and uh, it's, it's a pretty nice day out there today. So, uh, yeah, we're doing all right. We're doing all right. It's uh, great to speak to you. Thanks for taking the time to do it. I'm going to start, as I always do with this podcast, by asking you three more general questions about New Zealand that I'm putting to all interviewees. So firstly, Eric, can I ask you, what is your favourite New Zealand beach? I would definitely have to be Matapuri Bay, up just a little bit north of Ruakaka. If anybody's looking at a map, it's sort of around just north of um, Whangarei, towards the top of the North Island. Um, not only visually is it quite stunning but there's a lot of stuff you can do there and there's a tiny little bay called Whale Bay near it where you can only get to either by a launch or by a walk about a 20 minute half an hour walk and it's just that typical New Zealand sort of teal green sea and it's just it's fantastic up there and it's not actually not that far from Auckland. That sounds absolutely stunning. Secondly then where in New Zealand would you recommend I take my young family camping? Oh, definitely to Tafranui. Again, it's only about an hour and a half north of Auckland. It's a, it's a government reserve and it's also got a predator fence all the way around it to keep out any predators. So you actually, when you get there, you have to go through this really big electronic gate and it's a government and local authority run campsite, so it's not exorbitant. Um, there are sort of three beaches you can sort of choose to uh, stay on and it's just it's a really great place and also if you need emergency supplies you're not that far from civilization so I'd well recommend it. Thank you for that one and uh, number three of these questions can you name one thing that you think every visitor to New Zealand should experience? You should go surfing Victoria take the whole family surfing on numerous levels a it's good to be in the water uh, B it teaches everybody how to swim bit of safety you get to understand the oceans and because we're completely surrounded by water it's good for fitness and it's just a hoot because the more you fall off the more you stand up 
Excellent. Thank you for those, Eric. Those suggestions are going on my list. Moving on now to your more specific area of expertise. Uh, Firstly, I gave uh, a pretty general description there of Whitecliffe College, but could you tell me a bit more about how Whitecliffe fits into New Zealand's tertiary education sector? Yeah, it's one of the leading, I mean, it is the leading PTE, as they're called here, like private tertiary educator. And as you touched on in the research field, it is the leading PTE. Um, it was established about 30, just over 30 years ago um, by the Whitecliffe family because they would just realised that in traditional universities and learning in New Zealand back then, they weren't really getting a good grounding in education and fine arts. And basically it was a fine arts college for many, many years. And just recently they've decided to pivot more into the um, design and design innovation space. And it's, and it's sort of following the... TC, which is a Tertiary Education Commission, and NZQA, which is the New Zealand Quality Assurance, both government bodies, and how the government wants more, especially in the design field, graduating students to be more, you know, have a high employability, to be able to work in the field that they've studied. And so um, Whitecliffe attracted to me, I've been in design education for about 15 years now, having been a designer myself. And I always thought there was a lack of industry engagement in helping to develop curriculum, especially in design. And um, Whitecliffe were very forward thinking about that. And the new CEO, Mark Worsett, was very keen to actually get industry in the classroom, which I think in this day and age is really, really important. And that's, that's sort of White, Whitecliffe's strength at the moment. So your title is head of uh, Whitecliffe's School of Design and Innovation. As a department, that does sound like it has a pretty wide remit. Uh, could you describe the kinds of opportunities that you offer to students within the department? Yeah, and, and it is, I'm glad you've picked up on that, Victoria, um, the wide remit, because a lot of people have thought that design is only sort of quite narrow. It's either drawing pretty pictures or coming out with this woo-woo brand stuff and anything. Mm-hmm. But what I tend to suggest to people these days is that I, I use the example of Ernst Young, EY. They, I think they bought their 122nd design agency globally um, last year. So it's, it's the whole thing about learning about basically designers are problem solvers. And that's what we're teaching more. And it's about the human-centered approach to everything. It's like there's a great guy, I'm sure many of your listeners will have heard of, Simon Sinek, who a number of years ago came up with the idea people actually engage with products and experiences now because of why. It's not the what anymore. And it's also teaching designers not just the graphic design skills, but it's also about problem solving, the human-centered approach to things, why we engage with, like I said, products or experiences or anything like that. So the wide remit I've been given by the college is to create a bachelor's and postgraduate and even certificate courses to actually give students, graduate students, the skills to A, communicate how to get your idea across, um, the human-centered design aspect, as I talked about, design thinking, problem solving. You have a lot of skills that industry are crying out for because in this day and age, you can sort of learn the basic skills anywhere. I mean, there's lynda.com, there's LinkedIn, there's YouTube. But it's understanding the why. And importantly, so people, a lot of people are running away from the idea of, you know, like artificial intelligence and machine learning. It's like the machines will take over. Everybody <laughs> thinks Arnie and Schwarzenegger and Terminator 2. Well, that's, that will never happen because they're not sentient beings. Like they can come up with a solution to a problem and produce you a product. But they'll never be able to tell you the story of why you should engage in it. 
you know, it's like I use the again use the example of Nike. You know, Nike was the Greek goddess winged victory. The swoosh was actually the stylized version of the wings on her heels from ancient Greek illustrations. And mm -hmm. you know, and it, it, it's all the storytelling behind why we engage with people. People want to, to when they engage with stuff is to feel good and understand the why. So artificial intelligence, yes, you have to understand it, and that's what will be part of the. The program and hybrid reality, you know, artificial reality and virtual reality using goggles, you know, that's going to be a great asset to remote communities, especially in medicine, and you know, being able to self-analyze from medicine to mechanics, you know, to plumbers to to, to whatever, using design and, and all these interesting spaces outside traditional graphic design. Earlier in this podcast, Eric, I spoke to a primary school head teacher, Daniel Birch, about the kind of future that awaits young New Zealanders in a few years' time. Uh, what sort of qualities do you think your students will need to demonstrate once they're out in the workplace? Um, sort of a bit of resilience, because the world has palpably changed, especially over the last two years, you know, with, with the whole pandemic that's hit everywhere. People are a little bit, um, a little bit scared, a little bit apprehensive, and it's also just being able, and what we're trying to get into our students, and I think all students, need to have a bit of self-confidence to realize that change is here for good chaos is going to be around for at least the next generation and a half so it's how to navigate through chaos and to use it to your advantage you know you always find these great stories about people who are in a chaotic situation and they somehow turn it to their advantage so i think it's it's teaching students to have self-confidence to be a little bit resilient and to look at ways of making problems and roadblocks work for them and as creatives and designers I think if you've got that sort of mindset anyway you're a little bit ahead of the eight ball and it's also teaching them how to communicate. Communication is a skill I think with digital devices have caused people to be more inward looking mm -hmm. and, and just not to be as socially adept as, as maybe 10 to 15 years ago so it's just reinforcing these social skills, how to get your story across, how to engage with people and, you know, a lot of soft skills. I'm aware that there's been an inevitable fall in international student enrolment in the country in the past year or so due to COVID restrictions. Has that had an impact on your work? Not at my current and not at Whitecliffe College, because that, that was very much very niche when it was just in, in, you know, fine arts and fashion and sustainable fashion. There were a, a small cohort of international students, but we hadn't hung our hat on international students as many of the you know or the eight universities in New Zealand are really suffering at the moment and some of the other smaller PTEs but we were quite fortunate that we were sort of quite New Zealand focused and our reputation was such that a lot of just you know like national New Zealanders wanted to come and join Whitecliffe and then go and spread their, their wings abroad so we've been we've been fortunate but it was part of the planning it wasn't just by good luck. So talking of abroad, I know that you spent many years away from New Zealand working. What drew you back? I mean, I think after nearly 30 years of um, living and working in, in numerous different careers, I mean, I had my own design agency in London for eight years and was a germ trained as a journalist in the UK and all sorts of things. And I think after that, that long a while, I was starting to hanker about coming back home. But um, I got married in the UK to a lovely, beautiful English woman. Our daughter was about five or six, or seven maybe, at the time. And I just 
personally didn't like the way things were starting to pivot in the early 2000s in the UK. And I always thought New Zealand would be a great place to bring up children or a child. And we made the right decision. My wife loves New Zealand. Lottie's done extraordinarily well here, our daughter. And, um, and I've spoken to other people that have just, New Zealand seems to be the place to raise children. So, and it was a bit of, you know, being away for so long, you tend to appreciate New Zealand. I think people who live in New Zealand like the place, but you don't really appreciate it. It's probably like lots of things. You don't know what you've got until it's gone, the Joni Mitchell song. So, mm -hmm. um, and I just really like New Zealand. And, but I'm also so pleased that I lived and worked abroad and experienced so many different cultures, so many different ways of doing things, so many approaches. And that's the other thing, just because you have a common language, you know, America is completely different to Australia. Australia and New Zealand are just poles apart. But because you have a common language, it doesn't necessarily mean you have a common cultural outlook on things. And I think it just broadens your horizon. And it's great to be able to talk to the students and engage with the students here and explain to them about the wider audience that's out there globally. So moving on to another area that you're passionate about, you've also written and spoken about motorsport for the New Zealand Herald and other media in New Zealand. Can you give me a flavour of the motorsport scene in New Zealand and uh, why you have a passion for it? Oh, I, I remember my dad took me to a motorsport event at the Bay of Plenty when I think I was seven or eight. He took me to see the cars, racing cars, because as a child I was always very interested in racing cars. And I saw motorbikes, they had a, it was a dual event and now I was just hooked on it. So then I just did schoolboy motocross and then I raced in New Zealand and then went to Australia and raced in Australia and then raced all around the world and in England and bits and pieces and tried my hand at it and realized I was never going to be a world champion. Good enough to get on a world championship grid, but not good enough to be. So then I started writing about it for many years for uh, international magazines in the UK. And then when I came back to New Zealand, got, got involved with it and realized that New Zealand has, for a small country, Victoria, we have so many great young men and women racing all around the world and winning world championships. And I'll, one of the things that does annoy me a little bit about the, the media um, landscape in New Zealand is very fixated on rugby, cricket, netball, which probably only about five countries play half decently around the world, whereas motorsport is the second most watched and engaged in sport in the world. And the young New Zealanders, as I said, men and women, you've got young Courtney Duncan, incredible young woman who's a two-time world motocross champion. And you've got, you know, Brendan Hartley and Earl Bamber who've won the Le Mans 24 hours and they've also won um, the World Endurance Championship. You've got Scott Dixon in America. The, the list is endless and I just think it's great, especially coming from New Zealand. And we have a long, rich history right back to the days of Hugh Anderson on motorbikes in the 50s and 60s and Bruce McLaren et al. It's just, it's incredible for a small country. It made me smile when you said uh, you were good enough to get on the uh, championship grid. I mean, that sounds pretty good to me. Oh, it, it is, but sometimes you've got to realise uh, there were times when I'd sit there and just go, I've got great machinery, great team, great everything. And you, it's just getting passed and you're going, I have no idea how they do that. I'm sure some tennis players do that when they're playing against Roger Federer. It's just like, hang on mm -hmm. a minute, I'm in a Grand Slam final, but I can't keep up with them. But um, it, it was a great time, and, and I've enjoyed still writing about it. You know, it keeps me current. I've been lucky enough to do a couple of radio shows, and I've written a book and bits and pieces. It, it, it is my, my hobby and my passion. 
Finally, Eric, I'm going to move back to one of those general questions that I've been asking all of my interviewees. I wonder what piece of advice would you give to a newcomer to New Zealand who has just arrived and is planning to make a life here? I would say don't keep going back home, you know, when you first get here. Uh, It's a wrench for everybody. And um, I use my wife Lorraine as an example. She just said, I'm not going to keep going back to visit my family, otherwise I'll never settle. And and we've seen it over the times. A lot of people come, you know, emigrate or move. And, and if they keep popping back, you never really settle. So I think it's to really, and it's hard, don't get me wrong, it, it's extraordinary. I felt very, very lonely for my first year in Australia, but I just knuckled down. And the other thing is don't find a community that is like-minded to you. You know, like if, it, you know, if you're coming from Australia or the US or America, don't look for Australian, US or American or English friends. Mm-hmm. Get out and the one solid piece is join a sports club, Victoria. Because mm-hmm. everybody's got a sport in them. Just join a sports club and then you'll meet people and you can start a conversation straight away because you have, you have a commonality. Fantastic. Thank you, Eric, for your time. Absolute pleasure, Victoria. Thanks to Eric Thompson for sharing his views today. And Eric's book on motorsports is available online. Just search for Behind the Pit Wall to find the book that Eric co-wrote with Bob McMurray. What Kind of Country was written, presented and edited by me, Victoria Meakin. My producer in Christchurch is Bridget DeGoldy and our original music was written and performed in New Zealand by Corey Bezecki. What Kind of Country is a broaden-up production.